Welcome to episode 171 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the latest NRL coach departure, the Toronto Wolfpack withdrawing from the UK Super League's 2020 season, and the Rugby League World Cup 2021 draw has been released and so much more. Join us as we build a Rugby League community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 171 of the Rugby League Republic podcast. We, we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, it's been a huge week this week for news. We've got a lot to cover. How yeah. are you going this week? Well, uh, Dr. T, it is the annual... John Bonvert Jovi round this week because we're halfway there, living on a prayer <laughs> towards the end of the finals. Uh, but yeah, look, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a good week of rugby league. You know, rugby league. What happens in rugby league during a week? Well, you have new competition leaders, you have uh, you know another sort of coaching uh, fiasco. You have a coach uh, be- being let go. You have players changing clubs. You have offset field incidences. You have players uh, who are on the verge of jail time wanting to play again, <laughs> right? You have World Cups drawn. It's just it's just another week in rugby league, isn't it? You know, so much drama. It's uh, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. And uh, you know, uh, looking forward to an exciting grudge match this week between your team versus my team, Doctor. Yeah, look, it should be a good one. Uh, yeah, look, is it is it actually halfway halfway through the season? Yeah, it is because uh, well, we've had ten rounds, uh, and now we've got another ten rounds left. Oh, that's right. It's a shortened season, of course. So, well, this this makes it interesting because, as you said, the the key thing that has happened is uh, there's a uh, you know the I guess which whichever way you want to look at it uh, to continue the MasterChef uh, kind of analogy that we we raised last week. Uh, the cream is rising to the top. And it's def- there's a there's a definite creamy layer of uh, of uh, cream of the crop at the moment. Uh, we've got the Panthers, the Eels, and the Storm are a yeah. few points clear of number four, the team that's coming fourth, which is what is it now? Is it the Roosters now? No, it's the Knights, I think. So look, what that means is, uh, you know, there's there's a few little battles going on. Battle for number yeah. one is definitely going on. There's a few battles for the final remaining spots, uh, the, or the remaining spot in the top four, and there's also there's a huge battle going on for the remaining spot in the top eight because there is a bit of a gap between seven and the rest as well. And so, you know, there's there's quite a few things happening there. But look, at the moment, as you said, halfway there, living on a prayer, and unfortunately, the eels didn't do enough praying because uh, halfway through the season. You know they have uh, given up the uh, yeah. their their lead to the Penrith Panthers with a a bit of an uncharacteristic loss to Manly, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But uh, look, what does it yeah. mean? Is is this season going to be a, a season of two halves, where the first half was all the Eels, 
is the second half going to be all the Panthers? Who knows? But well, uh, let's. Well, look. I've got to say, yep. you know, just like MasterChef, you could be like the Eels, like Raynal, one week, you know, recreating the snitch of Harry Potter, you know, with perfectly, uh, you know, produced leaves, you know, leaves, golden leaves hanging off in it, and then the following week you could be eliminated by a toffee apple. That's uh, that's exactly what's happening in the NRL. Same. Same sort of problems there, you know, you just, uh, yeah, you're unraveled by the most simplest thing sometimes. That's right. It wouldn't be the first time someone has been eliminated by a dodgy toffee apple. <laughs> uh, although, if I remember correctly, my childhood, it's usually uh, people's teeth were eliminated by dodgy toffee apples. Mm. But anyway. Just uh, ask Adam and Eve. <laughs> yeah, well, I, finally, I don't remember that in the story. <laughs> okay. so, uh, anyway, I, I might have to go reread that book. I'm not sure. Uh, it has been updated recently. Who knows? Uh, all right, let's get into our six tackles. Uh, here we go with the first tackle of the round 10 wrap. All right, so the first game uh, was uh, the Raiders, 24 over the Roosters, 20, exacting revenge over their grand final 2019 nemesis, the Canberra Raiders. Uh, you know, did you end up watching this match? I only caught a little bit of it, unfortunately, because I actually thought it was going to be an absolute smashing. So I think I did... Uh, I unfortunately I didn't I didn't really expect uh, the the Raiders to do what they did. But um, did you catch this match at all, Tish? Yeah, look, I pretty much watched the entirety of this game. Uh, but I mean, there were at times where I felt like, uh, oh, you know what, the Roosters are just going to fall on top. The Roosters are just going to, you know, plow through. Or this is when the Roosters are going to fire. And well done to Canberra because they they pretty much stuck it to them. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I read an article uh, recently about the, uh, you know, the the godfathers of coaching in the NRL. And uh, Warren Ryan's got a famous quote where, you know, if, uh, you know, if you've got no way to beat them, you just got to try and knock the knock them down on the front door. And that's exactly what Canberra did, actually. They just ran straight through them. Um, you know, all their tries were actually in the middle of the field. Um, some scored by big forwards, others scored by little halves actually cutting back in. So it's kind of remarkable. You know, the Roosters, a team known for their defense, known for their attack, uh, being out-muscled. And I've got to say, the highlight for me was definitely uh, the captain's challenge um, perfected by Jordan Rapana. Uh, it was it was great because he really uh, you know it was a, a really dodgy call and he called it right moment and and uh, and I think Papali scored off the next play so you know the captain's challenge uh, if it wasn't there uh, you know Canberra could have suffered the same fate they suffered in the grand final as many predict uh, you know but they didn't they actually won uh, they actually did uh, uh, win so well done to Canberra and um, I think it kind of um, reinvigorates uh, a lot of people's thoughts into how they're going to go uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, you're right. Look, I think uh, the Roosters, I guess, the that second gear, they couldn't find. But, yeah, mm. it looked like it was the kind of game that kind of swung back and forth in the lead, in terms of the lead, and uh, the Canberra Raiders obviously taking it at the end with a Papali try. Um, yeah, look, well-deserved. Uh, it means that they're back in the hunt and, and they're – you know, it's, could it be a turning point? Who knows? Um, yeah, so uh, let's see how they go. But uh, I think they've been slow to start compared to some of the other teams. Let's put it that way. In yeah. 
the next game, a team that hasn't been slow to start, but they've been uh, revving up very much so, is the Melbourne Storm. Clinical is always 42-6 to against the Titans. I don't think there's much more to say there. Uh, I think we expected a, uh, a smashing, and that's exactly what happened. Tish, do you have any quick comments on the Storm versus the Titans? Yeah, well, look, um, Premier Anna Bly needs to do something about border control in Queensland because there was absolutely no defence in the Gold Coast. Um, Melbourne just <laughs> went straight through them. So hopefully Border Force can uh, fix itself in Queensland. That was a terrible defence by Gold Coast. I have to correct. I've, have we gone back in time? Did you say Anna Bly? I, sorry, who's the Premier at the moment? Anna, oh, I forget what her name Balmeninga. is. Balmeninga. Palachik. Oh, Palachik. Oh, okay, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> apologies if I mispronounce the name. Um, but it's definitely not Bly, <laughs> that's for sure. All right. <laughs> okay. Speaking of turning back time, the West Tigers have turned back time with their exceptional 48-0 to blackout, total blot out of the Brisbane Broncos. Um, I have no words to describe what the Broncos <laughs> are doing. I don't. I cannot explain what's happening. We're going to talk in a minute about coaching mm. anyway, so maybe I'll leave that to them. But look, you must be pretty happy with that, 48-0. Look, I was, I was really, really happy. Obviously, the, the whole game from start to finish was, was a great game for the Tigers. Uh, but then, you know, after the game when I actually saw the replay, um, and just how uh, how easy it was for the Tigers to score. I don't know if it's something that we could mark our form on uh, <laughs> this game. I mean, there there is there is a play uh, where um, where you know Luciano Lelua you know gets a, a dropout kick directly to him and does a pirouette a la you know Natalie Portman from Black Swan. Nobody touches him and he goes over. <laughs> And it was just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, one of the most funniest things is that, uh, you know, Payne Haas, he was probably Brisbane's best player on the night, um, but he won the, uh, you know, the VB hardest winning, you know, hardest, um, you know, uh, working player, which Channel 9 never reveal how it gets calculated. And then <laughs> soon, straight after they gave him the reward, they go and show the tries and they show like the first two tries where he's the guy who actually missed the tackle. Wow. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, he was Brisbane's player, and he was. He worked really hard, 60 tackles or whatever. But even he was missing tackles left, right, and center. And uh, yeah, really, really bad. Um, I know they also, uh, I know like Andrew Johns and uh, Phil Gould that they kept talking on, look, is there any communication at Brisbane? And every time you saw them, uh, you know, there was no, there seemed to be no cohesion at all. So really terrible. And look, for the West Tigers, I've got to say, um, as a Tigers fan, I've seen many great chants, many great uh, from Leichhardt Oval. I can't remember the last time a chant was so loud with only 4,000 people there chanting Harry um, when Harry Gant was leaving the field. He got a standing ovation when he was leaving the field, mm. and he looked like the most happiest guy in the world. And I've got to say, it's going to be very sad for Tigers supporters, and I think it's going to be very sad for Harry when he, ha- when he has to go back to Melbourne at the end of the season. It's... Uh, you know, although it's it's great for us at the moment, I, you know, it's going to be a sad thing uh, down the track. So, but yeah, but but well done to the Tigers and uh, and Brisbane. Yeah, <laughs> what? They, no worse than Scrum. How bad they are? Yeah, look, they're just having a quick look at the stats, and I, I look, we'd have to look a little bit deeply into what's been happening uh, in the last few games for them. But you know, trying to look for clues for little 
things that tell you what's going on there. And, and not that this is going to tell you anything. I mean, they're doing the usual things. There's a few more errors than the Tigers. There's a few more missed tackles, you know, 30 to 19, you know, quite a few more missed tackles. But nothing that would suggest 48 nil. Until you look at, this is a very interesting stat, kick return meters. <laughs> 277 for the Tigers and 76 for the Broncos. Now, normally you'd go, you know, Dr. T, what does this have to do with with anything? How could this possibly predict anything? But if you think about it, maybe that says a little bit about, you know, the fullback and the wingers not putting in, you know, not you know, not being the the potent attack that they need to be in and straight away putting them on the back foot. Uh, you know, maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. I'm just sort of, in terms of the stats, the statistical differences that could indicate why a 48 nil scoreline, that to me is the, the largest uh, difference that I saw. Uh, if, you, if you look at NRL.com, you know, it's got all the stats there. Um, very interesting. But let's have a look in, you know, what the Broncos do in future, uh, or at least mm. let's see if we can dive into something, uh, their, their recent games anyway, to have a look as well. But we'll do that another time. But anyway, moving on. Uh, the Dragons, a last-minute try to uh, the Bulldogs, uh, against the Bulldogs, 28-22. to 22. It literally was last minute. It was like about a minute to go. Corey Norman yeah. being uh, the recipient of the most unbelievable... A drop ball in his unbelievable right? knock on by a Bulldogs player. <laughs> they were so it was twenty two all at this point, and they had the ball. They were spreading it wide, and I don't know who it was, the unfortunate Bulldog player who uh, basically looked like he not only knocked it on, it came straight off his knee, and basically into the set up hands. perfectly into the hands of Corey Norman. <laughs> who put on a bit of speed and was untouched under the post, ended up doing a bit of a, you know, we talked about the post-try celebration. He sat down next to some of those, uh, couldn't tell if it was real fans or the cardboard cutout fans um, that we've been doing in the NRL and clapped himself and and the team joined him. You know, at this point they had won the game and uh, quite deservingly so, I think. Uh, But it, it just was unfortunate that, it happened to it happened to have happened, you know, um, like that. But having said that, I say deservingly so. But let let me just make one thing clear: the Bulldogs scored all their points in the first half. There were three tries to two in front, and it was really three uh, three late tries to the Dragons from the 65th minute onwards that basically won it for them. So it was a Dragons comeback. Uh, and, and, you know, you might say, well, the Bulldogs deserve to win, but I'm sorry, you can't uh, you can't put 22 points on your opposition and then fail to score at all in the second half and expect to win. So uh, I think, uh, you know, in the past we would have thought Desi Hazler would have ripped his team to shreds during the halftime break. Maybe... Uh, Maybe he uh, the opposite happened this time. They they were so cocky going into second half that Desi Hazler didn't feel the need to. Uh, actually, he's not not there anymore. So sorry, Desi yeah, It's not even, it's not even Dean Payne, right? So, Dean Payne. Who is who is it? George Dallas. Sorry, 
<laughs> we, I think we are turning back time. This, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, George Ellis, I mean, he didn't. You know, I guess it is a bit. It's a bit of an experience, although he has, uh, he has coached NRL before. So I'm not sure what's happening there. But um, yeah, look, I guess they probably thought, well, we won this one, but no, the Dragons, uh, not to be. Uh, discounted ended up winning that one so tish i don't know if you saw well you obviously saw that last try i think that was a highlight for me was there any other highlights well to be honest i just caught the highlights of this game and uh to be honest um you know steve george Isles, dean pay whoever the bulldog coach is i've actually figured out how to fix the problem for the bulldogs um just by watching the highlights it has occurred to me exactly what is going wrong and uh and the fix is on it's simply this the Bulldogs have got to stop playing basketball, right? They've got mm. to start playing rugby league. I think that's the whole problem, Dr. T. They've been playing basketball for the last 10 rounds because of the drop balls. I've got to say, Michael Jordan was at his best uh, for the Bulldogs there. Maybe maybe the new coach isn't Steve Georgialis. Maybe it's Steve Carfino. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, yeah the drop maybe ball Maybe it's Gaze. It's Andrew Gaze. It could be. It could be because, like, yeah, the, uh, yeah, uh, the 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 knock-ons were were uh, incredible. They were with so much force. Like that was the other thing that was like it wasn't like you just missed it by a little bit. You know, just like you just fell out of your hands. It's like it's almost like you you're deliberately trying to bounce the ball across the field. Um, so so look, I don't, I don't know where the Bulldogs go from here. They've already sacked the coach. What? else can they sack? They've got nothing left. So, um, and look, meanwhile, the Dragons are actually on a bit of a roll. I think they've lost, they've won the last four games straight. So it could be an outside uh, chance to make it into the finals. The, the, you know, as the Mighty Ducks say, the, the flying V is, uh, is coming back. <laughs> All right. And look, the next game was the Knights 2018 over the Rabbitohs. This is again, another game of two halves, although, mm. You know, this time the the Knights got out to a twenty nil lead. Uh, in the for the first fifty minutes, uh, you know, unanswered twenty points to the Knights. Yeah, and then with fifteen minutes to go, uh, the Rabbitohs scored three consecutive tries, uh, pulled it back to twenty to eighteen, still within a chance of winning, but didn't end up doing that. So. Look, really, and it wasn't even within the last 20 minutes. It was actually in the space of seven minutes they scored three tries. So you, if you are the Newcastle Knights a fan or coach, you would be absolutely livid that they let the Rabbitohs back into this. But it just goes to show that they've uh, they've got points in them and they've got mm. potential, but they just need their mental uh, – They mentally they just needed to, to kind of finish the job. So, yeah, what did you think about this one? Well, look. Um, firstly, I think the Knights, um, you know, they they really did need this win. They had a they had a a not so great game the week before, and then had a patch. They've had patchy form, and I think this game kind of shows a bit more patchiness uh, in terms of of Newcastle. Um, yeah, because look, although they sort of played really really well throughout the whole game, um, they let South Sydney come back, and South Sydney, you know, in the last 10, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, they, they really, <laughs> I thought they were going to win the game. I thought if the game went for another five minutes, I think the Rabbitohs would have won. They, they was, uh, you know, the momentum swung and they were really going that way. Very interesting, you know, uh, the previous week against the Tigers, you know, the Rabbitohs didn't score any points in the last 20 minutes. And in this game, they scored all their points in the last 20 minutes. So, um, 
interesting how all that sort of works out. So, look, I think that um, I think the Rabbitohs are, are a pretty good team as well. Both these teams are sort of sitting, you know, near the middle of the ladder at the moment, and I think that um, both of them have got potential to do uh, some damage if they could actually make it to the finals and uh, and keep their sides healthy. All right. Uh, the next game was uh, Manly uh, defeating the Eels twenty-two to eighteen. Again, this is another kind of game of two halves. Manly got out to a twenty-two to four lead at halftime, and uh, and in the end, it ended up being four tries apiece. Uh, mm. But uh, with with you know obviously the the Eels scoring their tries uh, in the last fifty minutes of the game, and in fact two in the last ten minutes. So really, they left their run a little bit too late, unfortunately, uh, and and I think that was the difference. Um, you know, they really needed to have, uh, you know, they, they got they quickly got out to, I believe it was a sixteen nil deficit, I think, in the first uh, sixteen minutes or so, and uh, and so that really, you know, you can't really. If you're a top-of-the-table team, you can't really let any team get out that far ahead initially without uh, putting up a fight, and that was very disappointing. But, you know, I'm going to put this one down to they really – they did what they could to survive, uh, Mm. like they have survived recently, and they've done well. But now – now they're going to have Mitchell Moses coming back. Uh, hopefully, they'll have they'll go back to some sort of sense of normality. But it very disappointed as a Neils fan. I thought this was a, this is one of those gimme games that they really should have won. Uh, Tish, what were your thoughts on on uh, the Eels? Uh, did they capitulate early, or was it really the case of Manly, uh, you know, playing the Eels at their own game? Well, I think. Uh... You know, I think what's happened now is that, uh, you know, the Eels have been a team that other teams are going to do their best to play up for, you know. Like, uh, all the other teams are now hunting Parramatta, and you could kind of see that with the Eels rising to the occasion, um, playing better than what that... Because they've sort of been a bit patchy for the last few weeks, and they've actually sort of picked up their game. Meanwhile, for Parramatta, you know, they've had a really, really great run. Uh, now they've come through a couple of injuries, um, they did well the first week. Moses wasn't there. Uh, second week didn't look that good, and now we've into the third week, uh, where again the you know the form has kind of dipped a little bit. And um, look, it is. I think I think um, hopefully in the next few weeks, hopefully not against the Tigers, but uh, after this week, mm-hmm. uh, let's let's hope that the Eels um, can sort of start to um, start to to play back up a little bit because I think. You know, they can afford to have a few, a, a bit of a lull now, but I think one of the things we've seen in in previous seasons, like we've seen it with the Dragons, and we've seen it with some other sides. I think we see it with Brisbane um, in most seasons as well. You know, they might have a real great start to the season, and they'll have a bit of a lull. And the teams that do well are the ones that can pick up again around this time. And I think with the Eels, that's probably what they need to get to. They need to sort of uh, stop this downward spiral at the moment. Even though it's not that deep yet, and then just start to uh, start to work themselves back up. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think it is a bit of a danger to try and uh, to say that it's you know that they don't need to, that there are some things they need to fix. I think particularly around their attack. And yeah, look, they lost this game based on goal kicking, um, and they're going to get Moses back, who's their goal kicker. So 
maybe that's also another factor that uh that that is there. Um, let's not forget Doctor T. They've only lost two games in the whole season so far, so I don't know if we should uh be calling doom and gloom so no. so so quickly. You know what I mean? So uh, you know they've they've uh, they've lost as many games as um well actually no the Bulldogs have 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 only won one game. So yeah, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's not doom and gloom. I think, uh, you know, they, they did. But unfortunately, they did already have the loss that they needed to have a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just sort of think it's it's it, it's in these sort of games that you really feel like they need to step up and, and show that they can get on with the job, even if things aren't perfect, even if conditions aren't perfect. You know, that they, they could have ground this one out, to be honest, and they should have. Uh, Manly has, you know, really only played well against them. They haven't really done exceptionally well against other teams. So it, here was a chance to kind of remind everyone why they're number one and they let it slip. And uh, as we'll see shortly, the Panthers took advantage of that. But uh, look, the next game uh, that we want to talk about is uh, the Sharks and the Warriors. Sharks in the Sean Johnson Cup were the winners, 46 to 10. And the Warriors really, with a late consolation try, you know, this was, again, another absolute flogging. Uh, so we've had, you know, quite a few of these this round, unfortunately, um, where the one team got into the 40s. So, And that's very unfortunate, but maybe it's got something to do with the new rules and, and the openness of the game, etc. But, Tish, what did you think about this one? Uh, you know, does this signal the Sharks return to form? Look, I think in a way it 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 does it and it doesn't. Uh, I know it's forty six ten, but it but it is the Warriors. You know, the Warriors are, are sort of, you know, that team that everybody uh, knows is it, it's not going to be the hardest game in the world because, you know, they're going through so much off the field uh, dramas. They don't know who their coach is next year. Uh, you know, caretaker coach at the moment. Obviously, the Sharks were up for this game. Sean Johnson was definitely up for this game. Uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's his old club sort of thing. Um, the Sharks, they won 46 to 10. Um, but uh, if you look at the missed tackle stat, they actually had 40 missed tackles uh, to the Warriors 37. Um, and uh, they actually had 23 ineffective tackles to the Warriors 24. So uh, it's very interesting how from a stat, stat point of view, these two teams were, that, were not that far off. It's just, I suppose, the Warriors made the missed tackle in the wrong areas of the field, I suppose. Uh, so that's that's probably what's uh, done them in. And, uh, yeah, but but, they, but there you go. So, look, um, but I think the Sharks, they've got a roster that, that can make it to the finals too. Um, but, yeah, I think just when they play the better teams, you can really start to notice that there is there are some things that they still need to fix up. And, um, yeah, uh, and I think their roster is a bit aging. So I think that's also... Uh, another a bad sign for them. All right, and the final game was the Panthers versus the Cowboys. Panthers running out winners, twenty-two to ten, to claim mm. the top spot on the NRL ladder. They were down, however, ten-four uh, up until the forty-eighth minute mark. And uh, you know, so you'd be forgiven for thinking the Cowboys were actually giving giving them a run for their money. And and then, you know, similar to some of the other games, all of a sudden at the 50th minute, something clicked and they just ended up running rampant, scoring the next three tries, especially with that final try 
uh, at the very end there, really sealing the deal. So it was still, you know, with a few minutes to go, still within the realms of possibility that the Cowboys could have won this one or at least tied it. Um, but then with that final try in the final minute, uh, 22 to 10, probably flattered the Panthers a little bit. Uh, having said that, what did you think, Tish, about the Panthers' performance? Uh, four tries to two in the end, but the important thing is they got the two points and they're now on top of the ladder. Yeah, well, um, look, well on Parramatta on, on uh, sorry, on the Panthers of, you know, getting there, uh, which was, uh, yeah, to the top of the ladder and, you know, everybody thought they were going to win this game and the Cowboys were pretty ordinary last week. Um, so I think people were expecting a bit of a blowout. That ended up not being the case. Uh, and in fact, uh, North Queensland had a great first half. Um, they were very resilient um, and uh, uh to uh, you know, to the point that um, you know the young fullback um, who has edged out, um, who's edged out Valentine Holmes for the fullback position, because I think when Valentine Holmes comes back, he'll be on the wing, because this new player, I think his nickname is the Hammer, because uh, I think his name is kind of like Hammer Hemel or something like that. He scored an absolute brilliant try. There was I counted eight players that uh, that he actually uh, evaded. Um, and, in fact, one of the Panthers players even tried to push him out and he was still able to balance himself and score the try um, in the corner at the end. An absolute phenomenal try. And I thought, wow, Paul Green's got a lot to work with with this young uh, Cowboys lineup and, uh, you know, very good, resilient defense. And then, you know, the Panthers just went up again in the second half. They seemed, to, you know, they were a bit unorganized in defense, uh, in attack. And then all of a sudden, second half, they were, uh, you know, a bit more organized. I think Nathan Cleary really stood up in terms of the way he was playing. Um, You know, he kind of really steadied the ship there uh, a little bit for them. And uh, they were a lot more fluid. You know, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, Coruscant as a dummy half, he's a very creative dummy half. And he does a lot of plays sort of towards the middle. But I think at times it kind of gets people's timing out a little bit if um, if you're doing too much at a dummy half. And I think maybe Canberra might have actually had a similar sort of uh, experience without having, um, you know, because their number one dummy half is out for the season as well. Uh, But I think it does affect your uh, attack sometimes when you've got too much happening. And I think they really stopped that in the second half, just focused on getting the ball to, um, you know, to their halves and to their forwards as quick as possible, um, who then focused on trying to get early ball to their centres and wingers which then created the opportunities um, because you've tied out the defense. So I really liked the way the Panthers sort of played towards the second half and they, and they did get it there. And, um, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about Parramatta, you know, uh, 1986, you know, they were on top, outright on top after six rounds. Well, I believe the statistics has come out is that the last time the Panthers were outright leaders was actually in 2003. And that was the last time they had won the premiership. So wouldn't it be interesting, a Parramatta versus Penrith grand final, uh, that would be something uh, that would be uh, phenomenal. We might need to find a bigger stadium than ANZ to actually play because it'd be the, you know, the two Western Sydney uh, Giants playing. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. Absolutely. And look, uh, interestingly enough, the Panthers have only lost one game. So far this season, remembering they, they're at one point ahead because of that drawn game. Uh, yeah. And the only game they've lost is to the Eels. To the Eels. So Unbelievable. it would be an interesting matchup if it continues this way. 
for a, an epic Western Sydney style grand final. So there you go. All right, that's our wrap up for round 10. Let's move on to our second tackle. Here we go. All right, so despite the fact that the Cowboys put up a good fight against the top of the table Panthers, uh, he has, uh, Paul Green, the coach, has decided to step down. So as a coach, now he he has not been sacked as far as we can we can confirm the club has confirmed that he has uh, after consultation with club management. Uh, it says it, it was, this is a quote. It had become clear that it was best for all parties to call time on his tenure as head coach. Uh, now, so effective immediately he is, uh, and after seven years as head coach, he has announced that, uh, uh, you know, he is moving, well, the, the club is moving on in a different direction. Uh, so, look, a bit of mixed messaging there from Green's official statement and and the, the board statement about, you know, was it mutual? Was it that the club said, look, we want to move in a different direction? He had no choice. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think it sounds more like the fact that he, uh, he they, they had other plans. Um, now, the other way to look at this, Tish, given that uh, with all the, this, the, the coach movements that have been happening, uh, you know, don't forget he delivered the Cowboys their first ever premiership, uh, you know, several years ago. So that's not something that, you know, should be forgotten too easily. But the other thing to keep in mind is at the same time, people have been, again, shaking their heads, thinking, what is Anthony Seabold doing still as the Broncos coach? Now, I wonder, another conspiracy theory is that the mm. Paul Green departure comes at a time when potentially the Broncos will be looking to part ways with Seabold, uh, Seabold and and potentially uh, lock up Paul Green as their coach. So, again, that's a possibility. Uh, we don't know just yet whether that will happen, but... Um, Tish, first of all, what are your thoughts about Paul Green leaving? And secondly, do you think he's going to be snapped up by the Broncos? Yeah, well, uh, Dr. T, very, very interesting. Um, I've got to say, look, you know, this week, after the, the weekend's rounds of football, halfway through the season, sort of thinking what's going to happen here. Obviously, we've already had two coaches lose their jobs in the Warriors coach, Stephen Kearney and Dean Pay. And, you know, on Tuesday, everybody's expecting the big announcement and that was going to be that Trent Barrett was going to sign for the Bulldogs um, as their coach, but that hasn't happened yet, <laughs> right? So we don't know what's happening there. The other thing that was speculation all over the place is whether Seabold is going to lose his job um, as the Brisbane head coach. And, you know, there's been so much pressure, so much media attention on the situation that's at, at Brisbane. And then all of a sudden, Paul Green comes out and uh, basically quits um, the Cowboys I think the story is that, um, you know, they pretty much told him at the end of the season that if things don't turn around, the, they, the club will be going in a new direction. And I think that what's happened is that Paul Green's actually called it early and said, you know what, I, I really can't continue on towards the end of the season if I know that I'm not going to be here at the end of the season. It's not fair for me. It's not fair for the players. There's rumours that he's had uh, a falling out with some of the senior players, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Michael... Morgan, I think, yep, Michael Morgan. That mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah, that, that was it. Um, so, so I don't know if that's true or not. I think Paul Green has been very, um, 
gracious towards his comments towards all the players at uh, the Cowboys. And yeah, obviously the first link, I think the rumor that he was going to be the new Brisbane coach happened like an hour after this announcement. So um, I think everybody went straight away thinking about what will happen with Paul Green. Um, I've got to say, when I thought about it, when I first, I was shocked when I heard it. I, I didn't think, I didn't expect Paul Green to lose his job the way he did halfway through the season. I just did not expect it. Um, however, if you would have asked me at the start of the season, before anything would have happened, I would have said that he was definitely one of the uh, coaches who, um, you know, was under pressure. And the reason why I said that is because, yes, they won in 2015, but it's kind of been a bit of a downward trend for them since since that time. And even the last few years, I don't think they've made the uh, finals in the last two seasons. Um, and they've got a pretty talented roster, but the, it is an aging roster as well. And they seem to do nothing to fix it up until last Sunday when they've actually uh, debuted a few players, <laughs> right? Mm. So I thought that there was something wrong with their roster and I felt that, that you know, Paul Green would have been under pressure as well. I'm um, also think the Valentine Holmes, now he's going to be playing, a, he's, he's going to get paid a million dollars to play on the wing, uh, which is probably not where you want to be spending your salary cap. So, you know, things do need to be fixed at the Cowboys. So I could kind of see that going. Um so I just wonder what's actually going to happen at the Cowboys because I know I know Paul Green. I think he is a candidate for Brisbane. It won't surprise me if he will be signed as a uh, as the Brisbane coach. He's a former Broncos player. He I think he had five or six games in two thousand three or two thousand four around that time for for the Broncos. So he is a Broncos sort of alumni uh, from a playing point of view. Uh, obviously Seabold, uh, I don't think he's going to be the coach next year. I think it's very long odds that was, is going to happen. So I think that would be there. But I want to throw another conspiracy theory to you, uh, Dr. T, uh, which mm-hmm. is, do you think that the Cowboys have gotten rid of Paul Green right now to make way for Shane Flanagan, who is uh, the assistant coach of the Dragons, suddenly performing well, and uh, you know is, is allowed to coach NRL next year again? Do you think that's the uh, coach they're going up, going after? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, at this point, I'm, they're probably going to go for Kanye West because I think he's looking for <laughs> a job. Yeah. I have no yeah. idea. I, my predictions on, on this front have been totally – I'm still waiting for the Paul McGregor thing. I'm still <laughs> – yeah, there's quite a few. <laughs> yeah, we're still, we're, I still can't understand Seabolt. There's quite a few things that have been happening – this year in the NRL, uh, I think it's uh, – I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, who knows, maybe Donald Trump is thinking uh, he, he needs to come <laughs> to Australia and, and do something. He's just going mm. get, get to get to Brisbane and just fire everyone, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe well, that's what they need. I mean, I have no idea. But, look, any conspiracy at this point is probably uh, n- tamer than what will actually happen. <laughs> the st- truth is stranger than fiction, they say. Yeah, well, uh, very, very interesting. So uh, apparently, look, I have not read his book, but apparently Eddie Jones is a big fan of rugby league and in his autobiography did say that he does want to coach an NRL team one day, uh, but he's a Rabbitohs supporter. Wayne Bennett is probably going to leave the Rabbitohs. So do you think Wayne Bennett going to North Queensland, Eddie Jones coming in as Rabbitohs coach and... uh, 
yeah, and Tebold just keeping his job, I suppose. That's uh, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I don't know if that's gonna happen. Well, there you go. Former NRL coaches also another former NRL coach has actually just lost a job as well, and that's Alan Jones. Uh do you think he is wow. a uh, candidate for the Brisbane Broncos? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think, let's not forget we might be getting a second Brisbane team as well. So yeah, there's true. another coach we need to find a job for. Mm. <laughs> should, should be very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. What we can say is that no matter how good they're doing in the Queensland Cup, the Walker brothers, their names are not being attached to anything at the moment, are they? So that's... <laughs> That's well, they're of... another candidate there, aren't they? So there you go. But look, uh, yeah. yeah, look, my final thoughts are, Paul Green, you've done a great job at the Cowboys. I think uh, wherever he goes, he will, uh, you know, he will make an impact for sure. Uh, you know, having said that, though, I think there is something to be said about, you know, when you've got superstar players in your team like a Thurston or whatever, uh, you know, you, you can certainly build a premiership winning team around them. And then mm. when you don't have them anymore, even though they've still got Tamalolo, the fact that they don't have Thurston, you yeah. know, is a real massive game changer um, because, you know, you can't really win premierships only with, you know, as great as Tamalolo is, he does not organize your attack. He does not provide those opportunities you can only score through your forward so many times before you need an effective backline, and yeah, and really, uh, you know, to have a, a a game winning, you know, once in a generation type player like Thurston, really makes a huge difference. So, uh, having said that, that's not to downplay the fact that Paul Green still needed to put all that together and get that team. Uh, you know, in what was an epic grand final, as it turned out, uh, to win that one um, mm. several years ago. But it it still uh, shouldn't undermine his other achievements. But in saying that, you're right. I think I think once uh, once there was that downhill slide, I don't think he showed necessarily that he was able to uh, instill any confidence in the board. And I think that's, uh, you know, ultimately now that they've tasted success, they want to repeat it. So, mm. you know, it's now the bar is a little bit higher. So, you know, in a way he's a victim of his own success because up until this point, the Cowboys were perennial kind of, you know, well, only once were they the bridesmaid, uh, but never really got close otherwise. So, you know, victim of his own success, the expectations are now a bit higher for the Cowboys as a as an organisation, uh, you know, especially when in the last few years they have been the top Queensland team, uh, surpassing the Broncos, which, again, is no mean feat. And that, that can be all down to Paul Green and what and the, the kind of the club that he built there with them. But, uh, but, yeah, I think it is probably best if they move on. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for a a second Brisbane team to take a Paul Green uh, and see whether he can take them to glory. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's my thoughts on that. And what happens to Brisbane, we will never know. (laughs) But let's see. Um, (laughs) All right, let's move on to tackle number three. Here we go. All right, so this one is about the Broncos, Tish. And look, uh, what's been happening with the Broncos and their investors? Well, uh, look, investors are not happy. Um, you know, if you've uh, if you've been on the latest stock call uh, for the Broncos, uh, you know, done your Warren Buffett sums, uh, your value investing, uh, you know, <laughs> your sort of your your uh, charts and everything like that, 
uh, you would you would form the same opinion that all the uh, financial analysts that Koshi has come up with that you know Brisbane's not a good uh, investment at the moment, and uh, you know uh, the, their largest private stakeholder, um, Phil Murphy, property tycoon. Uh, you know, I don't know if his relations to Dan Murphy at all, but could be. Um, but he owns twenty two percent of the uh, the shares in the Broncos, and basically. Um, you know, he's been on the phone uh, talking to the chairman, Carl Morris, and it's basically said that there's no leadership in the team, um, you know, and, and, you know, he just wants answers. He wants to find out what's happening to his investment. So the club is publicly listed and has been hit hard by poor form in the COVID-19 uh, downturn. Um, they've had around about $15 million wiped out uh, of value of, uh, you know, yeah, over the past two and a half years. So, that's what's happened to to the Brisbane Broncos. They've lost fifteen million dollars over the last two years. Now, if that happened to the West Tigers, the West Tigers would have minus three million dollars, right? So, <laughs> so, so that's so, right. Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of uh, kind of amazing. So, look, um, Brisbane. It's not only their. Um, I think this whole Seabold uh, situation, Seabold Gate, uh, as we'd like to call it, maybe. Uh, I think what this has shown is that it's uh, you know it's. Brisbane don't need to just fix their on-field problems or their coaching. I think there's actually problems at the board level and problems throughout the whole uh, club at the moment because just nothing seems to be cohesive. You never hear a story like this uh, five or ten years ago because you know basically their media would their media marketing management whatever would wouldn't let negative publicity like this for Brisbane even even ever get leaked. So. The fact that they've got information leaking in itself uh, is showing that the Brisbane Broncos have have really uh, lost the plot in terms of what they are as a club. And, um, you know, you talked about what uh, Paul Green, uh, you know, some of the problems of just focusing on forwards and not having an organised half. Um, I think Brisbane is the uh, case in point for that right there, you know. They, that they haven't really invested in, in a good uh, spine for a long time. And uh, and yeah, they just seem to be all over the place in uh, in every area. So, Doctor T, uh, with a second Brisbane team coming in, is this why we need a second Brisbane team? Because the Broncos have become a basket case. Yeah, look, I don't think so. I think uh, yeah, I think I think a second Brisbane team is needed anyway. Uh, mm. And and in fact, there were calls for a second Brisbane team when the Broncos were at the height of their powers. Um, yeah. Because for for a different reason, which is, you know, not to distract from the Broncos' poor form or whatever, but to kind of dilute in a way the 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 power of the Broncos and, uh, you know, and also to give fans who don't necessarily want to follow the Broncos another team to follow. Um, you know, one of the things about the Broncos is that yeah, it's very its association with Super League News Limited. The fact that it's kind of all, uh, you know, it's like a franchise more than a community-owned club, um, it puts it at a different kind of, uh, you know, it's a very corporate success story as opposed to a club where, with grassroots uh, that, that, you know, uh, people follow. You know, I mean, South Sydney would be an example of where, it has the best of both worlds. It has the grassroots, but also it has become a more corporate uh, powerhouse in in recent years. So, 
the thing I want to say though about this story is, and the significance of this story that the fact that the main investor has taken it to the public and blah, or it's been leaked anyway, but blasted the uh, the 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 leaders and the management of the Broncos. And the reason why this is a, a very interesting and significant story at this point in time, uh, I'd like to sort of take it take it to halfway across the world to the US and the NFL and a team called the Washington Redskins, which have come into the news recently, uh, I think it was in the last week or so, where they have just made a major announcement that they're going to be changing their name because, uh, you know, apparently the name Redskin is a derogatory term to Native Americans. Uh, And uh, I I didn't realise that. I think, uh, you know, those of us in Australia know the name Redskins is actually a, I believe it's like a lolly or it's like a little kind of a chewy lolly kind of thing. So, again, like we're oblivious over here to some of those those uh, stories there and and the background to these sort of things. But regardless of that, uh, the reason why I mentioned the Redskins and or whatever they're going to be called now, but is that this has been an issue for many, many years. A lot of people have been uh, complaining and wanting a name change just to make a, to, to, to highlight the fact that it's, it's an insensitive name, et cetera, et cetera. Not going to get into that, but the main reason I wanted to mention that story is the reason why they are now actually doing it is because they have lost sponsorship. It's the Mm. sponsors that have forced the hand of the Washington uh, NFL team's management to make that change and to basically change the direction of the club. And so this is not just the owner, this is the sponsors. And so this this actually says something, I think, about um, the power of uh, money in the game. And yeah. so back, back, back to Brisbane, <laughs> what to me the reason why this is a significant story is not just because – uh, it's any old person and any old former uh, Broncos player. It's uh, it's someone who's actually got cash, you know, embroiled in the club and entwined in the club and who has a stake in it. And when they come knocking and start saying, you got to fix something uh, to the management, I think that's when changes will happen. And I'm what I'm anticipating, which is why we've been surprised about the Seabold non-action, is that we, we should be expecting some action at some point very soon. So my prediction is, Titch, that next week we'll be talking about some major changes at the Broncos, possibly yeah. Seabold, possibly even more than that. Um, but, yeah, that's why I wanted to raise that, that NFL kind of parallel there because it is all about follow the money, and if the money is not happy with what you're doing, it, chances are, especially when you're that much of a corporate powerhouse like the Broncos, chances are that the management will do something um, to keep them happy. And, uh, and, and I think, look, whether you like that or not, that's, mm. that's the reality of business in this uh, billion-dollar game uh, th- at the moment. And so, yeah, look, Tish, your final thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, look, I wholeheartedly agree. Look, uh, I know I was kind of uh, sort of taking the mickey uh, about sort of the money ball situation, but it is actually very true. Like, uh, if you think about 2020, what 2020 has taught us about rugby league and the NRL is how important money and how much money plays a factor in all the decisions that we make. I mean, there's a reason why the NRL had to push so hard 
to try and get started again when there were so many restrictions because, you know, frankly, the game was going to go out of business and it needs money to survive. And, you know, there's a corporate reality to the decisions that get made for the game. Um, and there's a corporate reality to the way players act and behavior and all these different things that we see in the news. There, There is... There is a bottom line um, that somebody has to foot the bill for. And uh, obviously, for the case of the Broncos, their poor form goes back to their investors and, uh, you know, goes back to obviously the money that's in the share market that, you know, I, I know we're talking about uh, the biggest shareholder, but, you know, uh, shareholders uh, could be people's superannuation um, as well. Like, think about it from those sort of terms, right? And mm-hmm. to have players not caring, um, not taking pride in the jersey. That's what a lot of ex-players are sort of talking about when they talk about the Broncos these days. Um, that that obviously hurts a lot more. So um, yeah, look, I think I think well well put in terms of why this is such a uh, an important thing and probably why some of these changes need to be made. Um, the NRL, why do we have six again? Why do we have scrums anywhere? Why are they talking about scrums and scrums? scrums? It's all to actually create a more exciting game, which adds to the revenue, which keeps the uh, competition going. And um, and I think the Broncos probably need to do the same. They probably need to make those uh, tough decisions that, that not just affect the on-field, but also affect uh, you know the image of the club and also how you know, and also their, their investment. So um, I think the Bulldogs lost $3 million this year from the incident that happened earlier. So that kind of shows what type of money uh, clubs lose when something bad happens. Absolutely. Uh, talking about something bad happening, let's move on to <laughs> tackle number four. Here we go. All right. So the other massive news internationally in rugby league is that the Toronto Wolfpack have withdrawn from Super League's 2020 season. Uh, Obviously, the team, the Toronto Wolfpack, who uh, were set to debut in the UK Super League this year uh, until COVID happened with their superstar, Sonny Bill Williams, uh, have uh, finally, after unfortunately, you know, not really making any mention of this, uh, they've had many opportunities to do so, but unfortunately, at the last minute, or uh, virtually the last minute, they have uh, cited overwhelming financial challenges caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, and they've decided to uh, withdraw from the rest of the season. The RFL is very disappointed uh, with that, and uh, if, 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 like me, you've uh, had a look on online uh, at some of the comments, that uh, unfortunately what this news has done is as it's uh it's been a bit of a polarizing uh, <laughs> bit of news because quite a few people uh, have said uh, you know good riddance uh, let's uh, let's get a, a local you know English team uh, to fill the gap uh, and others are quite rightly saying uh, this is a disaster if the RFL doesn't come in and uh, rescue the wolf pack uh, and and guarantee that they'll be there next year. Uh, you know, this could be a disaster because it was all set to, you know, this is a team that was towards the end of their, you know, season last year in the second division, they were averaging about eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 in Canada, in Toronto. So, you know, in terms of crowds. And so this is, this is not a, a, uh, a, a dot on the map, a pin on the map, 
uh, in a big city. This was actually a grassroots club that has grown and grown in recent years, and uh, and and managed to get make it, you know break into the uh, uh, the first kind of transatlantic team uh, mm. to be playing in in rugby league. It's a historic occasion. Unfortunately, with COVID nineteen happening, everything's been kind of thrown out the window, but. I think what the RFL should do is uh, is rather than what they have done, which is, you know, talk about the obligation that Toronto has to their broadcasters, Sky Sports, uh, and, uh, you know, basically they're, they're citing the fact that, well, they've still got games that they need to put on and, uh, you know, they've got obligations contractually to their broadcast partner. Um I think they shouldn't be talking like that. I think they should be talking about what can we do to rescue at least temporarily this team so that we actually can uh, sort something out. I mean, don't forget the NRL has bent over backwards to accommodate the Warriors, uh, the New Zealand Warriors, so that we could continue on with the NRL season. Um, and, And I don't know what the RFL is doing. So, you know, I guess the first thing to say is, first of all, it would be a tragedy if they were to completely pull out for um, financial and or logistics reasons, given the COVID-19 pandemic and all the complexities involved with players uh, travelling, etc. Um, having said that, I think the RFL needs to work out what can they do to make sure that the it's just a temporary thing just for this year, and uh, and that they they will be welcomed back in next year into a into a resumption of the competition proper. I mean, one way to deal with it, I think, Tish is is uh, just say, okay, you can't make it. We're not going to have a replacement club, though. We'll just give a bye to whoever it was meant to be up against Toronto. Um, the other real problem is that you had the potential, you know, of Sonny Bill Williams being involved and. And now what's he going to do? Um, you know, a lot of people have been saying, I've heard on the radio today in Sydney, saying that, well, does that mean Sonny Bill can be playing in the NRL? I mean, again, maybe that might be premature, given that if he was going to be playing in Toronto, he would have had to relocate his entire family there. So this is not the kind of thing that you can just quickly move countries for, for no reason. So um, I'm just wondering whether he could be using another capacity in Canada to maybe bolster a local league over there you know maybe that's something else that he could do is while they wait for their return to the rfl or to the uh, super league next year why not focus on uh, doing doing some local uh, work to build up the game over there you know sunny bill is contracted to the wolf pack um why not use him in a in a like a uh advocacy kind of capacity or an advertising way um, to get people interested in the game over there, potentially even get some people interested in a second team or a third team eventually down the track. So there's a, there's a few things they could be doing uh, to, to salvage the unfortunate situation. Tish, what are your thoughts on, on what's happened and what, what, what should the RFL or Toronto or Sunny Bill do? Well, um, I think, First thing, I think the RFL needs to do what exactly the NRL is doing with the Warriors. Is quite like I said, I think it's the best use case for it, right? Um, you know, 
it would be a disaster not to have the Warriors play in the NRL. Um, not necessarily for Australian Rugby League, but definitely for New Zealand Rugby League because, you know, um, you've got a whole entire country supporting one team and we're really trying to grow the game up against a rugby opposition out there. Similarly, um, the fact that the Toronto um, Wolfpack have got a grassroots supporter base um, and, you know, unlike other sort of teams that have been expansion teams, they haven't had a problem filling their stadiums up, which uh, I think is a, is an important factor when you're talking about a rugby league uh, club that is sort of out in the middle of nowhere, right, Toronto. Um, so, yeah, look, I think I think Super League have got a... They've got to do something to try and keep this club going. I know uh, this is like the, a disaster situation. I know that obviously um, being based out of Toronto in 2020 cannot happen. So, yeah, look, just have the Toronto Wolfpack play, you know, uh, live in the UK and play in the UK, just like the New Zealand Warriors are doing it in Australia. Um, maybe even if it's just a local local players, but, you know, um, uh, but they all have like, you know, but they're all representing the same club. I think it's important because you don't want to lose that identity that is um, in Canada, a te- you know, a club, a uh, you know, a, a continent representing a continent that that is not a rugby league continent by any means. So um, the fact that they're you know read some mixed things online about this, um, you know, some people were saying you know it was too ambitious to have a team from Toronto, considering the NFL doesn't have a team in the UK. Well, I think that's kind of shows what an achievement the Wolfpack are, but actually having a team uh, in the Super League from North America, that's that's actually showing that Rugby League has got, you know, in, in many cases a bigger vision and more success than NFL times in terms of, of expanding its game. So I think that's actually a good thing that we're actually ahead uh, in getting a team in uh, from Toronto. And, and, and to be honest with you, the NFL doesn't even have a team in Canada. So um, the fact that Super League was able to get one, I think, is is almost an achievement rather than a failure. So, look, let's hope they um, – look, I know this news is kind of very, very fresh, so I really hope that we have more in this area. I hope there is um, some sort of saviour. Let's get the players fixed up. Do we need, you know, Mr. Kicking and Screaming, Peter Volandis? Do we need Lord Volandemort to actually uh, to intervene here? Uh, maybe he should – you know, there was a suggestion that the NRL could actually um, end up trying to buy out the Super League. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if uh, if we've got a man like Valandis, um, you know, doing what, uh, you know, having that same sort of role in Super League. I wonder if he would actually let a team like Toronto die. I don't think so, because uh, yeah, because I, I think it's very bad for the game. So let's hope we can fix this situation because this is this is more worse than the Paul Green situation. I've got to say. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got to agree, and I think you're right. Maybe, uh, look, maybe this is a time for the NRL to take over and say, uh, you know, boys over there in the UK, uh, we'll take it from here. <laughs> we obviously mm. know how to look after uh, some of our our key clubs uh, that mean a lot to us for our international kind of partners, uh, and whereas they don't, and I think. Uh, I think that's the thing. In fact, some people have, online have been saying that, you know, Sonny Bill should go to the Warriors because at least we know that the NRL has treated the Warriors in a way that the RFL should have treated super, uh, the uh, Toronto uh, Wolfpack. But look, I, yeah, I, I got to agree. I think uh, maybe, maybe it's time for the NRL to do something 
and step in. Uh, you know, potentially you come up with a, a way that uh, financially we can we can or not necessarily bail them. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe we can bail them out a bit uh, so that the Toronto doesn't have to make this decision. But also mm. at the same time, uh, we bail them out with a uh, a bit of a uh, quid pro quo. You know, we. Uh, we take ownership a little bit of the, or percentage ownership of the uh, of the Super League in its entirety. Uh, yeah, you know maybe that's the way forward. But uh, yeah, well, the NRL can do something. I just realised this. What we can do is we could actually start up. We could move the New Zealand Warriors to Toronto, New South Wales, right? <laughs> and they could play out at Central Coast Stadium, and we could have the Toronto Warriors. What do you think? Well, you know, you make a fair point there. I mean, let's, uh, <laughs> you know, good point. I mean, and, and then if they don't want, we can send the Newcastle Knights to actual Newcastle in England. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let them have a taste of uh, Mitchell Pearce and Callum Ponga. Why not? You know, That's it. do That's a straight it. swap, like an exchange, student exchange program. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think your idea is, man, Dr. T. I think we should make it happen. That's right. I'm I'm full of them ideas. I mean, uh, let's, <laughs> let's go to tackle number five. Here we go. The Rugby League World Cup 2021 fixture has been uh, the fixture schedule has been announced, uh, and the first game will be England playing Samoa at St James Park, Newcastle, on October 23 in 2021. Uh, this is a big deal. The uh, and so we're talking. Look, the men's game in the men's tournament definitely has been released. I'm not sure about the other ones, but um, but yeah, Tish, some big news. The draw has been released, has it? So let me just have a look. Yeah. Who are the? Uh, where where are the? Oh, I'm trying well, to look for the. <laughs> the, the yeah, it, look, I've got to say the website needs a bit of um, a bit of fixing up. In terms of the way, tiny it's, uh, bit of tweaking. Out. I'm trying to find the schedule you've, here. You've got to go to tournament. Oh, if you get a schedule, it's there, but it's it's confusing as anything. But if you go into tournament and then click on men's, that's when you get the the pools. So um, the pools are there are four pools: pool Group A, Group B, Group C, Group D. Group A is England and Samoa, France and Greece. Uh, group B is Australia. Fiji, Scotland, and Italy. Group C is New Zealand, Lebanon, Jamaica, and Ireland. And Group D is Tonga, uh, Papua New Guinea, Wales, and the Cook Islands. Uh, and yeah, it turns I found, it. I found it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's kind of in a weird place. So yeah, uh, I think that that's probably something that they'll need to fix. Yeah. Let, um, me, let me just go through some key games. So for us, I think, uh, you know, England Samoa, that first game in Newcastle, but. Australia Fiji play uh, that same day. Uh, a few hours later, in uh, the KCOM Stadium in Hull, Saturday the twenty third of October. So that's going to be a big one. Uh, New Zealand play Lebanon. Uh, let's see if there's any other big ones. Uh, Fiji and Italy will be playing in in on the thirtieth of October in Newcastle. England and France will be playing. Uh, same day in uh, University of Bolton Stadium in Bolton, which will be very interesting. Uh, and then what other ones do we have? We've got uh, da, 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 Tonga and Cook Islands. That'll be a good one. 
7th of November in Middlesbrough. Uh, PNG versus Wales on Monday, the 8th of November at the Keepmote Stadium in Doncaster. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's the all of the rounds for the men. The women's draw, I think, has been announced. We're obviously, with a much smaller pool, um, there aren't as many games. And, and also the wheelchair. Yeah, the wheelchair one has been announced as well. So go to their website and have a look, uh, everyone. And, of course, what we're doing this year is we're also oh, – next year – they're also going to have a uh, the final, I, th- I believe, uh, will be uh, will be a joint one, would it? The double header. I'm just trying to th- yep. see. I, I think it's. I think the finals are all going to be the men's and women are all going to be uh, at the same time. I yeah, that's right. Um, which, well, sorry, at the same venue, at the same, same time, venue. Which yeah, double the, double header. Yeah, double header, which which is obviously phenomenal. Look, I am a bit disappointed as a Fiji not to see the Fijian women's in the uh, draw, particularly since we completely smashed Papua New Guinea last time and Papua New Guinea got in there. So I don't know, don't know how that works. Uh, but anyway, that that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's rugby league for you. I've got to say, in terms <laughs> in terms of the tournament itself, um, look the men's the men's draw. Um, look on paper, I I, I wasn't wasn't too uh, annoyed about it at all, but then I just. I was just looking at just doing my own retweet, uh, tweaking of the competition. Um, you know, the what I do like is the fact that we've got the big four nations all are in their own pool. So Fiji, New Zealand, Australia. Oh, sorry, not Fiji. Australia, New Zealand, um, Tonga, and uh, and England uh, have all got their own groups. Um, and then you've you know you've got some pretty good competition in each of those groups uh, playing against each other, which I think is fantastic. What I what I do think is disappointing is not having uh, Samoa and Tonga in the same group because I think that would really be a great pool game mm. um, that could stand out. So I know Samoa and England looks like a great game, but I think you could probably give the edge over to England on that one. And it might, uh, you know, even though the Samoans have got some really great players that are playing in the NRL, um, but I think having that grudge match against Tonga would be fantastic. Um, and I think England and Papua New Guinea would then also be a pretty good uh, fixture as well. So you could sort of swap things around like that. And then, you know, um, even looking at sort of, because um, I think the way they've done this, they've tried to make it where you've got, um, you know, sort of, you know, all each of the regions sort of separated in a way. Uh, but I think the problem with doing things like that sometimes is that you kind of miss out on, some of the good games that people want to watch um, in the pool games. Uh, and I think that would be, uh, yeah, I think they've, they've kind of lost a little bit of a trick there. Um, you know, Le- Lebanon did some great things in the last World Cup with like, you know, Mitch Moses and and Adam Dewey and a few players like that. They probably won't have Mitch Moses this time uh, due, to, uh, due to the fact that he might be playing for Australia. Uh, so, you know, that, that that's probably there as well. And, um, you know, and it would be good to see. Um, I'm, you know, really excited to see Jamaica and uh, as well compete for the very first time. So, it should be a great World Cup. But uh, yeah, just a little, I guess, a little disappointed by some of the pool fixtures. Hopefully, in the tournament, we do get, you know, a Tonga versus Samoa fixture, you know, a Fiji versus PNG fixture, a an Australia versus New Zealand fixture, an Australia versus England, and an England versus New Zealand. And England and Tonga versus all these teams. Hopefully, we do get to see those big games because I think they're the games that everybody wants to see, and they're the games that um, 
should almost be played on an annual basis as well because I think the rivalry is just getting stronger between these nations. I think you're right, Tish, but I think in, on this occasion, I think fortune may favour us because if I'm if my calculations are correct, if my predictions are correct, and if uh, Tonga actually wins Group D, which is what they're part of, and Samoa comes second in Group A, which is where England is, then they will actually meet in a quarterfinal uh, quarter on Sunday the 14th of November at the University of Bolton Stadium in Bolton at 2.30 in the afternoon. It's the Group D winner versus the Group A runner-up, which is, I think, what will happen. You'll see Tonga versus Samoa in that one. So, you know, pencil that in. Maybe don't lock it in just yet. Mm. Pencil it in, everyone, because that will be Tonga versus Samoa in a, an elimination uh, you know, quarterfinal, obviously a knockout game, which is not what you normally see. <laughs> Usually you see them in group matches. I would rather see them in an elimination match where it actually matters, where the result matters, uh, as opposed to, you know, in a group match where you can afford to lose. And I think I think the knockout matches always get the best out of these teams. Uh, but again, Tonga would be looking at... Uh, at, at, you know, at least making the semifinals in this tournament, I would think, after what they've, the performance that they put up, uh, you know, earlier this year. And and so, you know, and last year as well. So that will be, you know, kind of epic for them. Um, but, yeah, pencil that in. But, Tish, yeah. uh, let's move on to our final tackle, tackle number six, our round 11 tips. Here we go. All right, so in the last round uh, you got six and i got four out of eight which means you have overtaken me to 38.5 to my 37.5 so i've got a bit of a catching up to do but uh it's close it's a tight one so here we go let's launch right into it eels versus tigers uh i'm pretty sure i'm going to go for the eels no matter what and i'm pretty sure you're going to go for the tigers no matter what yeah. am, I, am i right <laughs> yes yes you're right so all i got to say is that you know Parramatta have taken three of our players uh but there are no worse Tigers players you've ever played for Parramatta, and uh, yeah. So we, will, if we lose, we'll lose by our own development. <laughs> that's right. It'll be a win for the Tigers either way. <laughs> either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> Cowboys versus Seagulls. I think the Seagulls uh, will continue their winning ways. Okay, I think. Paul Gray, I think North Queensland, I think they'll bounce back. They're at home, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think North Queensland for one. All right, um, Broncos versus Storm. Is this even worth <laughs> worth tipping? I think the Storm will absolutely smash them. What about you? Um, yeah, I am tipping the Storm. Uh, yeah, I can't see any way that Brisbane can win. All right, Warriors versus Roosters. Uh, I'm tipping the Roosters on this one. Yeah, again, uh, Roosters for mine... Uh, can't see the Warriors doing anything. Sharks versus Dragons. Look, this is a tough one because the Sharks on paper have not really... Well, they haven't really lived up to their the roster, but I think they'll do well this time. So I think the Sharks will win this one. I'm tipping the Dragons. I think the Dragons are a bit on a bit of a roll. Uh, and uh, I know they only played the Bulldogs last week, uh, but I think they'll be too strong for the Sharks. Raiders versus Rabbitohs. Uh, I think the Rabbitohs will bounce back. I think the Green Machine is back. Uh, so I'm going to tip the Raiders because they're just 
I, yeah, they, they, they seemed unbeatable uh, if you actually look at their performance last week. So, yeah. Knights versus Bulldogs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, again, another another tight one to try and predict, but I'm going to tip the Knights. Uh, will be able to be too strong for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I was oh, look. I was tempted to go Bulldogs, but I'm, I'm with you. I think the Knights will win this one. Titans and Panthers, uh, top of the table. No, not really. <laughs> Titans against the top, the the leaders, the Panthers. I think the Panthers will win this one handsomely. Yeah, look, the only people picking the Titans are the Cartwright boys, um, John <laughs> Cartwright, and oh, actually, I think John Cartwright's actually part of the Panthers staff now anyway. So anyway, so... So he'd be torn. Panthers, he'd be torn. He'd be torn about what to do. But look, I think... Um, I think it, look, the, the Titans aren't the worst team out there. That's the Bulldogs and probably Brisbane. The Panthers, uh, I think, uh, obviously, they're on, they're on top for a reason and I think they'll win. All right. And that wraps up our tips for round 11 and our podcast. Thank you very much, Tish, and everyone for listening. Don't forget to catch us on our website, rorepublic.com. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, and on iTunes as usual. Tish, over to you to sign us out. Well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everyone out there for listening. Um, Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we've had bringing it to you. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts. Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.